How's you all doing? I hope that the weekend was a good one for you guys. And uh, and I have plenty of updates for you on this Monday night, the 29th of January, 2024. We've got a good one on tap tonight. We've got a great guest. I've never spoken to him before, but I'm familiar with his work. His name is Joe Hanneman. He's a uh, senior journalist. Been doing this for a long time. And uh, more recently, doing a lot of work with the Epoch Times, including having his hand in uh, hundreds of written articles and um, and even two documentaries now. We're one, the most recent one that we're going to talk about tonight, came out um, earlier on this month. It's the second part of the Epoch Times January 6th documentary. So we're going to talk to Joe Hanneman about January 6th and all of his work and his big takeaways and how it found its way into the uh, the documentary. After that's done, in the second half, I really want to recruit all of you. I want to recruit all of you for a, uh, a, a conversation about what you think the extent of rigged sporting events really is. Or are, is, the extent is, of... Anyway, I want to talk about that a little bit because everybody has a sport, a rigged sports theory, um, at least people who have watched sports in the past or any kind of competitive uh, competitive event. I mean, hell, we, we've gotten it, last year. You remember that gigantic scandal of the people who were putting weights inside of the fish, the, the competitive, the competitive fishermen. And they were making like millions of dollars with the prizes over the years and stuff like that. So it's all over the place. Some people are. Um, some people, most people are motivated by money and winning and trying to get an edge on people when they cheat. But then there's also other things. There's messaging. There's messaging. And, of course, the, the messaging leading up to the Super Bowl is going to be pretty interesting. we got to talk about that in the second half. And I was talking a little bit with um, Ryan Gable. He texted me yesterday. I said that was great uh, because I would love to do a full de-occulting of the Super Bowl once that is all over. And, um, and that's in two weeks from now. But we'll talk about that second half because that's going to be fun, exchanging theories and fun things. I have a lot of thoughts on what happened between the, um, the Chiefs and the, and the Ravens from whatever I did watch. I made some guarantees on the Sunday stream yesterday, Sunday office hours with all of the, the monthly sponsors, and I just want to talk about it a little bit. So there, there's that. But we got plenty to do before then. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing the show. I tweeted it out and all that all that good stuff. So um, away we go. All right. First thing up in the grab bag. Oh, before we get to the grab bag, thank you to my sponsors, BlueMonsterPrep.com. There's so much to say about BlueMonsterPrep.com, especially now that we are reading Lucifer's Hammer. Uh, it is a book 
session for us tonight at nine o'clock after this show ends. It's a book that really makes you wonder, really makes you uh, think, wow, I'm not prepared at all, at all, (laughs) at all. It's nuts. We got maybe maybe like two more weeks left of this book after tonight. So um, it's uh, it's been great. So just saying, bluemonsterprep.com. I was thinking about them the entire time I'm reading this damn thing. Use promo code FRANKLY. And away we go. Also, I'm going to have some great, great stuff to announce with the, quite frankly, mugs soon. The official mug has been completed. They're all handmade. We have to buy them in bulk. And I'll have that for you. Uh, I'll have that for you shortly. All right. What else do we have? First one up is CNN. Where is it? Oh, here it is. There you go. You heard about this over the weekend. U.S. identifies three soldiers killed in attack in Jordan. So now I never want to hear about uh, people who have died, uh, especially Americans who have died, anybody who has died, especially when they are in a place that they should not have been. When you have 300,000 people spread around the world doing nothing that really advances our, uh, our domestic interests at all, while the while over here at home we're completely open to all types of real threats uh, by the people who are keeping the strong arm of those who are supposed to be protecting us away from home. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, there's so many ways that people can get killed. And now, of course, it's leading up to whether or not there's going to be attacks against Iran. That's it. Lindsey Graham doing his little dance over the weekend. Freak. Somebody should airdrop him into Iran right now. Yep, give him an AR-15. He'd be able to take out the entire country, according to the left. Go out there and do Iran and, and take them all out, Lindsey. Go ahead. So now this is jocking him. It's like what, point and click. Everything feels fake. Everything feels forced. Doesn't mean that we're not in a lot of danger that people aren't aren't willing to kill a lot of people to get things done. But nothing feels organic. It all feels bull, like bull. It, it really does. You just got to take care of everything at home. You really do. So now we're now this is the uh, the next thing and we'll see if it's even there next week. You know, it kind of like swells and then it retracts. Here's one for you. A white Minnesota farmer sues the state over discriminatory program. A Minnesota farmer suing the state of Minnesota over an agricultural grant program that discriminates on basis of race and sex. The program, called the Down Payment Assistance Grant Program, provides up to $15,000 in funding to help emerging farmers purchase farmland. It's administered by the Minnesota Department of Agriculture's Rural Finance Authority. Applicants must be Minnesota residents who have never owned a farm, earn less than $250,000 annually in gross agricultural sales, will farm the land for at least five years and who will provide most of the labor and management of the farm. According to the department, to be eligible, applicants must be women, veterans, disabled, American Indian, Alaskan natives, 35 or younger, urban, members of a community of color, individuals who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, intersex, or asexual, or any other emerging farmers as determined by the commissioner. Out of 176 applicants, Lance was selected ninth in the grant lottery, but he was placed at the end of the list. Unknown to him at the time, the program put a premium on emerging farmers. That means people who have sex differently than other everybody else. It's, 
just one of those things. I guess they they can just there, there's almost like a spiritual co- connection with the squash that they're growing or something like that. The, uh, the the yield will be higher if they are not heterosexual. But this is the craziness. It keeps going, and it's not going to get any better. Um, not going to get any better until, of course, it stopped. What else do we have here? First, oh, the, here's another one from Elon Musk. We have a little bit more on an update from his end of the of the metaverse. Did you see this? Hold on. Let me get this out of there. Nope. My bad. Give me one second. I forgot to loop that. I have everything but my i uh, my iTunes hooked up over here. I have a Studio A update for you in just a second as well. Elon Musk, this made headlines on Twitter not too long ago. The first human received an implant from Neuralink yesterday and is covering recovering well. The initial results show promising neuron spike detection. It has begun. Yes, it has. It has begun. So that's it. That's it. So he's uh, onward and upward with that one, I guess. That's just something something to look after. Something to look after. All right, it's 710. Let's get started. I have a couple of things I want to give to you. Um, well, I guess I can just tell you right now and then just start off with Joe Hanneman on the other side. Saturday night, we had a big tech breakthrough. We had a couple of big tech breakthroughs at the studio. I picked up Mike around 915 and uh, we went over to the studio, and I had I was joined by Jim Lee and a crack team of people on the Gilded Video Chat. It was wonderful. We were all working together to test USB ports, uh, cameras. After about an hour or so, we found configurations that actually worked, that were stable. So from there, uh, on Sunday morning, I went and I spent a little bit more money and replaced all the cameras based on what we had had set up configuration wise other devices there too that were in the wrong places and were causing conflicts because at this point i might as well just go for the whole enchilada why the hell not why why should the only thing in the room not replaced and be brand new are are the uh are the cameras so that's what we went with now friday night it looks like i'm going to be taking this friday night off it's february 2nd uh i'm going to be getting to the studio super early to meet mike and we're going to be doing Hardware, software, firmware, everything. It's going to be uh, it's, it's going to be a big night, and if all goes well, then I should be able to spend a good amount of time on Saturday morning setting up all of my OBS um, OBS uh, streaming uh, profiles from scratch again, and and that's all. That's all. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it because there's a good chance, as of right now, there is a decent chance that on Monday. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. On Tuesday, the 6th, I could be streaming from the studio. So just saying. And it might be a short show because of band practice because everybody's back from California, which is what the next thing I want to say. Here's a really interesting story. You don't hear it that often. At least I don't. Anthony, as you know, and our friends Derek and Tom who play with us and set the charge, they went out to the NAM music convention over the weekend in, in Anaheim. And uh, at events like this, I'm usually the one. I'm usually uh, one of the ones taking pictures of Anthony with his fans and all the people walking up to him and wanting to take pictures and stuff. And it's it's really really a great time. But he goes and calls me, 
And he says, uh, you're not going to believe this. Uh, we went into Walgreens, me, Tom, and Derek. We went into Walgreens to get some stuff. And a guy approached me who watches, quite frankly, all the time and, and recognized me from your show. Recognized Anthony through me in a Walgreens in California. That's pretty damn cool. And then he also said, and oh, well, that wasn't it, Frank. Uh, at the NAM show, a nice, lovely lady approached Anthony who watches the show as well. So that right there, that's metrics. Those are the metrics, the only metrics that matter to me. I don't know what the hell I believe from anywhere. YouTube, Rumble, Twitter. Uh, I don't know what the hell I can believe. And everything kind of feels off in one way or another. And uh, But that that's it. When somebody walks up to somebody I know in a far-off land and says, Hey, I recognize you from Quite Frankly, that's a great metric. Okay? I don't know how I can apply that to anything. But uh, it just says, keep going, man. All right. So that's... Um, I think that's it. Aside from that, Friday night show was so great with the mall memories. I think we might have to do a sequel because all the mall memories keep coming in in email, which I have to redirect into the into the thread. And Ed, Ed, wherever you are, I still have not received an email from you or any other contact. You need to find a way to contact me off air. People want to know more about Ed who called in on Friday night. We need a full Ed segment. And I, I just, I, I hope he he keeps up with it. He can figure out watching the show and calling in. He can find a way to email me. Okay? S send me a telegram. That's it. That's all I got to say. All right. Well, we'll be right back with Joe Hanneman of the Epoch Times. So don't go anywhere, my friends. We'll be our B. Have you any idea how six, six, successful censorship is on TV? Don't, don't know the answer? Hmm. Successful, isn't it? <laughs> you let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Oh, yeah, and, and that's another thing i got to say. Thank you again so much to Matt Christensen for inviting me on to his show last night to fill in for Blonde, who has brought forth yet another very healthy, gorgeous child into the world. And, um, and I got to fill in for Blonde on Matt's show last night. We were on from like 9 p.m. Eastern time until past midnight, and it was great. It was great. They've got a uh, they got a great great audience. Get to riff a lot there. Got to got to got to do a lot of fun things, and um, 
And the feedback is always glowing. I know, I know, I'm not an attractive blonde woman. I am but a bald man from New York. There's only so much, there's only so much ground I can make up there, but, um, but I can, I can babble on like the rest of them. Anyway, I just got this from my friend Crystal, who I cannot wait to get these calls in in the second half. Your sports rigging theories. You got to follow us over to quitefrankly.tv and pill.net in the second half because I want to get these calls in. Crystal said, the, uh, the NFL has always been lies. I did VIP healthcare at the Cleveland Clinic. We were sponsoring our NFL team. I can't say details, but I can say that subjective injuries, subjective injuries are never injuries. Subje- oh yeah, if it's a if it's subjective, then well yeah, what does that mean, Crystal? You got to reword that. You got to be a little more clear. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You, you you had me hooked there, and then all of a sudden, I don't know what the hell you're talking about at the end. Anyway, so much to do, so much to say, and I'm glad that you're all here with me. Um, here's what we have a little bit. I want to go back to a couple of weeks ago when we had. Taylor James Jonatakis on the show, and we're going to have him call in again sometime soon. This was a uh, this was an exclusive, a a, a member of this audience, uh, frankly, who very ar- around the day that he was arrested was listening to this one. I was the one of the last people he was listening to. He said on this show is now in in jail and looking at somewhere between eleven and fourteen years. A couple of minutes of this, and then we're going to introduce Joe Hanneman. Listen to this. And uh, so I'll, I'll have spent, you know, 120 days in here before sentencing. I'm looking. I had co-defendants. I was severed from the case. They went to trial before me. I'm looking at anywhere from, like, the government's probably going to ask 11 to 14 years. Um, my co-defendants got sentenced to six and eight years. And when I tell you that we did nothing, I mean we did nothing. We touched a gate. We got pepper sprayed. We went, We moved back. That was it. I mean, it was it was. The video that, that may or may not be out there on Twitter or whatever, but, I mean, it's pretty insignificant when you start thinking about six- and eight-year sentences. Um, so it's pretty wild. I know the Department of Justice, they hate it when we say this kind of stuff on, on the, you know, over the phones and to people, but it's just the truth. Everything about January 6th is just overblown. We've got one guy, you know, he's going to be going home in a couple months. He was literally, like, stabbing cops with a nightstick, and he's going to go home, you know, time served, three years, and then we've got, you know, people like me who uh, were going to get six years because we decided to go to trial and didn't take a plea deal. So it's it's really a messed up system. It's 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 a weird system where if you decide to take a plea deal, you do less time. So the, the people that are really violent, they tend to take a plea deal. They get out earlier. The people that, you know, feel like they have a chance in court or want to stand on their rights and exercise their right to a trial, they, they really penalize you. You get almost double the sentence. Yeah, so and that's the kind of thing that we were learning from Taylor James Jonatakis, uh, the, the railroading, the railroading that was going on. Um, and I don't know, there's, there's just so much, there's so much to put out there and so much to say. And I guess that we can, we can, we can start with that when we bring Joe Hanneman on in just a second. Uh, Joe Hanneman is a senior investigative reporter for the Epoch Times and is one of the few reporters in the country with a focus on the January 6th U.S. Capitol incursion and its aftermath. His work over nearly 40-year career has appeared in the Catholic World Report, the Racine Journal Times, the Wisconsin State Journal, and the Chicago Tribune. Um, he's here tonight to talk about the latest feature-length documentary he's done 
or worked with uh, worked with the Epoch Times to put out there a culmination of three years worth of January 6th coverage. The real story of January 6th, part two, The Long Road Home, which premiered January 6th of this year on Epoch TV. Joining us right now, Joe Hanneman. Mr. Hanneman, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry I couldn't give you a, a, a video feedback, so you're you're looking at something other than a uh, a, a portrait of me with a fezzy wig on. <laughs> but no worries. But everybody sees us both on TV, and we're lo- we're looking yeah. good together. I gotta say. So how's everything All been? Right. Good. Been been very busy getting us film out and starting to promote uh, our findings in this latest documentary. I think it'll be a very eye opening for people. Yeah. For those of us who have not seen your work yet because I want to make sure that everybody knows exactly where to go out and, and find part one and part two. Could you recap a little bit of what was in part one and now what it is, what, what addendum uh, is being put out there with part two? Sure. Part one was produced in a fairly short time frame, just before the January 6th select committee started holding its hearings in the middle of 2022. Uh, and we, we suspected that, that was going to be a fairly slanted presentation of the evidence. So we wanted to take a little bit deeper look. So we we looked at the use of force. We looked at the video that was available at the time and came up with uh, a look at the day and just what exactly was January 6th. And that was a question that the mainstream media answered actually on that day. And yet uh, everything that we've, uncovered since then tells us that, that what we were told on January 6th was not the case, that there was a whole lot more to it. Uh, and we profiled some of the uh, some of the defendants. We, we profiled uh, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot and killed that day, her husband. Uh, so it was our first attempt to take a look at uh, what really went on that day. Now, the, the second part, which just uh, premiered on January 6th of this year, uh, it is more focused on what happened after January 6th. It uh, takes a look at some of the hidden tragedies and the hidden uh, uh, some of the hidden costs of January 6th with the defendants. Uh, we, we've got some FBI whistleblowers that uh, talk to us in this film. And we also take a look at some of the uh, suspicious actors that defense attorneys continue to investigate. Uh, that that raise a lot of uh, well a lot of suspicions, frankly, about uh, just who did what that day and and who was behind all of it. So it's uh, it's more of a behind the scenes look at January sixth. Yeah, I, I can. Well, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to check it out. I really can't. And I, I I gotta say, we before you came on, I just played a little a couple of minutes from a an exclusive that we had with a a member of this audience who's actually right now in prison awaiting sentencing. His name is Taylor James Jonatakis, and he called into the show from prison not too long ago telling a very familiar story that I'm sure, with all the time that you've put into this, you've you've uh, uncovered a lot, talking about judges who are going out of their ways to put people in prison for insanely long sentences, uh, in most cases victimless crimes. There's solitary confinement uh, issue that runs throughout everything, forcing people to make public denouncements and declarations of fealty to the state. It's very, very weird. And um, so I guess my question for you is, in the time that you spent covering this, what have you learned about the experience of the average January 6th defendant and then maybe even some of the more extreme cases? 
Well, I think uh, on average, January 6th, for people who have been charged, has largely destroyed their lives, really, irregardless of, of what they're charged with. Now, obviously, the, you know, the felony charges have, have a much uh, bigger exposure for prison time. But we've talked to and profiled uh, defendants who were charged with just misdemeanors, but it, yet they were still uh, subjected to the full FBI SWAT treatment. You know, uh, so the FBI and local task force uh, tactical officers come in on their property uh, before dawn, and depending on the case, sometimes they blow the front door off and, and go in uh, weapons hot with their laser sights pointed, and the, the trauma of that alone has scarred many a family, uh, probably permanently. So that that has been very common. It, it's, it's not ubiquitous. It hasn't been every single case, but it has been enough to raise a lot of questions about the propriety of uh, and, and the wisdom of using such a tactic um, across the board when, by and large, uh, the vast majority of these folks that are involved are they have no criminal record. There's no reason to suspect that they would be uh, violent or dangerous or put up any sort of resistance. Uh, so it, it's, you know, that, that's kind of the opening salvo. But, you know, the rest of the experience, many uh, defendants certainly can't afford to put on a, a robust defense. This is something that can cost anywhere from half a million upwards to a million or more depending how many charges there are and how long the process drags out. And that, you know, even people with uh, with pretty good savings could never afford that, and that would bankrupt the family. Right. Uh, we've seen some families that have lost VA benefits uh, just for these mere accusations, uh, and then have had to go uh, try to fight uh, to get those back because there was no due process involved. So it uh, – and pretrial detention has – has been much more common than I think the law is designed to accommodate. Uh, it's supposed to be a, a vast rarity for the unusual case where they can come up with no set of circumstances that would protect society. And yet we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of men still sitting, some of them for more than three years behind bars, who have not had their day in court. Uh, and that's also extremely unusual. They're, uh, they're Because of where this event occurred, that alone is dictating a different treatment for many, many of these men and, and some women. Uh, and when you're in a long uh, stretch of pretrial detention, we've, we've seen defendants who have, have been tortured, especially in the D.C. jail. Uh, it's just some horrid things uh, that they have, they have come out and talked about, uh, terrible head injuries suffered being, being driven into the concrete floor head first. Uh, some of these fellows are frog marched around the, uh, the prison in the middle of the night carrying their mattresses, uh, leaving the lights on 24-7, you know, toilets and uh, sinks that don't work. All of these things have been documented throughout this. And wow. it's, it, I think people would not, well, when you see it, they might not believe it, that this stuff is occurring within our own borders. It's, it's, it sounds like something you would expect out of Guantanamo or some kind of, you know, a, a pop-up prison in Iraq from years ago. And uh, it, it's crazy because you're not the first person I've heard stuff like that from, but it's been a while. And, and to be reminded of it is, 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 a, is a bit startling. And, you know, I think the other thing there, too, is that it's not over because, uh, as I'm sure you, have, you noticed about a week or two ago, the Department of Justice is uh, promising 
to expand the arrests now, the people who are just like within a block of the building. This is insane that they're they're only just getting started, it sounds like. Yeah, the Matthew Graves, the U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia, came out on the 6th and made that statement, which is um, really pretty shocking when you consider the number of people. And this is something the government doesn't talk about, is that uh, House investigators who have been looking into January 6th told us that they estimated at the height of the protest at the Capitol itself, there were uh, 250,000 people in attendance. So if you if you stack that up against the declaration that anyone who set foot on capital property is fair game for prosecution, just imagine that hundreds of thousands of people, certainly tens of thousands as you get in closer to the building, uh, and his promise, threat, whatever it was, would indicate that that the current regime in the in the Department of Justice intends to keep this going for many years. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if. If that is really going to be the the bar that needs to be reached to go and uh, and and brought up on charges, I would not be surprised if this is all going to be predicated on cell phone data, because what I was seeing on January sixth, when we were just watching this stuff happen on uh, on television, like we're watching the, the the speeches and all that stuff, and then things start getting a little weird. And I remember Jake Tapper going on CNN later that night. And um, and in a really brazen way, because they love just introducing the stuff to the, the public and making it seem very normal, uh, he showed a black grid that was essentially stenciled over the, the streets of that whole area, the whole campus of the, the Capitol. And on that black grid that shows the streets there was a cloud, a roving cloud of green dots that was that was supposed to represent individual cell phone pings that were showing how the crowds were actually moving and process, uh, 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 you know, in, in processing down the, uh, down the street. I'm saying to myself, you know, if, if you were to have thrown this image up a couple of years ago and said, look, they're tracking your, your cell phone data and they're following you as you walk all over the place and uh, the government is working with your cell phone provider to, to literally watch every step that you take, you would have been called a conspiracy theorist. And there's CNN showing a green cloud of people walking around. I wouldn't be surprised if that is the predicate for sending out new charges just based on where their cell phone put them. Because I yeah, I don't know how you can put that many people's faces, catch that many people's faces, and get them all. Well, I think they could do both. The, the facial recognition, surprisingly, uh, I think is had, had probably had more to do with it initially than geolocation data. But we know they, they used, made extensive use of, uh, of geolocation. They had a warrant, uh, but their warrant estimated that they may have caught up to 5,000 people's uh, information. I suspect it is, it is much, much, much larger than that uh, because uh, you know, that gives you a richness of information that just the face doesn't do. They have to run a face against uh, different national databases, driver's licenses. And, and quite frankly, those things all run the risk of, of uh, running afoul of the Fourth Amendment. Um, so, and, and those are ongoing big issues. I mean, just how, uh, how big is too big and too general? Uh, there, there's been some litigation about that, uh, defendants that have filed suit over the use of geolocation data. That is, it's, uh, you know, it's like a fishing expedition um, and we, we quote, there's one attorney in our uh, documentary, a defense attorney, who said they 
they'll they'll find you one way or another. Maybe they find you on video, and then they go look for the evidence to support some sort of a crime. And uh, you know that that is not how things are supposed to work. But you know, facial uh, recognition software and geolocation data have been very big tools. And I you know I suspect the FBI has a, a shockingly long list of potential. Uh, potential people that could be arrested. So I, I was able to, um, I was able to get a little bit of a of your your background here as far as what you've been put at, able to put out content wise in the last few years. Over five hundred articles, two feature length documentaries, a special program on exclusive Capitol security footage, a seventy eight page special report that you've been involved in regarding January six coverage. You've been a part of the publishing of hundreds of pieces of information here and now we have this second part of the documentary out of everything that you have done mr hanneman what would you say uh is one of the one fact or one story that stands out the most it that that has even shocked you along the way even though everything is pretty shocking uh what stands out the most i really think the the case of roseanne boyland uh, a 34 year old woman from georgia uh, who died that day, and who literally, uh, her crime was to wander into a tunnel entrance, which at the time was very peaceful. Uh, that was the site of some of the worst violence that day. But at about 4.15, 4.18 p.m., she literally shuffled into this tunnel with a bunch of other people, curiosity seekers as much as anything. And then within a couple of minutes, she had been shot in the chest with a pepper ball fired from the back of the tunnel by a police officer. And that shot to the chest uh, knocked her to the ground. And at the same time, they unleashed a, a still unknown chemical irritant gas that displaced all of the oxygen in the tunnel. So if you can imagine, the witnesses told us, trying to suck in a breath and there's nothing there. You cannot, you know, it's like a guppy. You can't mm. pull in any breath. And so everyone turned and stampeded out in a panic. She got caught up in that and ended up under a, a fairly substantial pile of humanity. I mean, I think at the worst of this, you had 50 or 60 or more people in this waterfall that came out of that tunnel uh, piled on top of each other. I'm actually amazed more people didn't die that day. Uh, but she lost consciousness. Uh, you know, I think she was probably lost her heartbeat at some point along the way. But the uh, the police at the front line refused to help. And, and I, when I say refused, if you, you watch and listen to the body cam, uh, they don't say anything. But they you can clearly hear the crowd begging, tearfully begging, saying this woman is dying. Please help her, help her. Uh, and nothing. And so eventually uh, some bystanders pull her away from the police line. And uh, this was just after, inexplicably, she was beaten by a Metropolitan Police Department officer named Lila Morris, who, who picked up a walking stick off of a rioter who was trying to swing it at police. And she turned that on uh, Roseanne, who was laying on her side, unconscious, probably pulseless. And she just double-handed uh, over her head like a sledgehammer took it down on her head and on her ribs. And to this day, even though this officer has testified in some trials, we have not gotten any kind of an explanation for what justifies using that kind of deadly violence against a defenseless woman. Um, in her case, you know, if eventually uh, she got pulled inside the Capitol and 
once she got in, she did get medical help from the park police and, and others. Uh, but by that point, she had been without breath for six, seven minutes or more, and they were just never able to revive her. And just it's just astounding that police would stand by knowing a person is dying and do nothing. And they say they were afraid for their lives. But um, I, I think if even one of them had moved to help her, knelt down, the crowd would have pushed everyone out of the way and made room for paramedics to come in there. Uh, but instead, you know, it, it really set off a lot of violence because people were convinced that she was dead, even though she wasn't at that point. But that crowd uh, was then driven for the next who knows how long uh, with real anger because felt like, how could you how could you abandon a human being to to death when mm. you know, you know, when you're a law enforcement officer, first responder, you have a duty. If you see somebody in need, you have a duty to step step in and help them. I mean, my gosh, any human being would have a moral duty to to try to help someone. So uh, her case, most people have never heard of Roseanne Boylan. Uh, but her case it, certainly in a normal world would be worthy of a grand jury investigation uh, to find out uh, culpability from law enforcement and the conditions that led up to her death. It, it's it's just shocking. Yeah. And in normal world is the uh, is the, what needs to be underscored there. And I guess I have some questions about that in a second, because whereas we did learn about Roseanne Boylan, I I remember talking to Julie Kelly about it. And, you know, you, Julie Kelly, those are some of the more prominent names and people who have been covering this from the beginning. And I, um, I remember that. And, and, and any time that the details come out, it's just, it's horrendous. And then it's infuriating again to just think about the kind of pageantry that was allowed on television afterwards, the weeping uh, uh, Capitol Police officers, the weeping media men, the me weeping media women, Nancy Pelosi with the with the pins and the challenge coins. It's just the pageantry, what it was meant to cover up, the brutality it was meant to cover up is infuriating. And it, and it, it poses some bigger questions about the future of not only how this story wraps up, but the future of our nation. And so uh, before we get to that question, though, I want to ask you about Ray Epps. Because um, people were given decades in prison and they never even entered the building some of them weren't even in town and yet a figure like ray epps is documented quarterbacking crowds before and during the riot is given a 500 hundred dollar parking fine essentially what does this tell you and have you been able to determine whether this can be used by lawyers to appeal overly harsh politically motivated sentences i mean can this be used at all to help people who really need the help right now well, uh, ironically, or maybe not ironically, but a defense attorney shortly after Ray Epps was sentenced, uh, Bill Shipley, one of the one of the best defense attorneys uh, working on J6 cases, he took Ray Epps' case and put it before a judge as an example uh, in, in taking a look at the egregiousness of the accused crimes versus his client and the sentence that was meted out. And he actually got a, a fairly light comparatively speaking, sentence for his uh, for his client as a result. Uh, so it did have an impact. I, I don't recall the judge that was involved in that case, but it did have an impact. So there may, su surprisingly, that may be one uh, impact, is that that uh, sets a bit of a precedent that the Department of Justice comes in and 
and offers a, a free indictment uh, plea deal. As far as I know, that has not happened in any other case. Uh, by the time any of us found out about it, it was a, it was a done deal. It was sealed up. And uh, within two days, he, he appeared in court. And, uh, and that was the end of it. He was just sentenced uh, to, to no jail time. Uh, clearly has the appearance of special treatment. I, I think most uh, defendants are up in arms about it and, and furious because if you look at the evidence, uh, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, these judges have, have come down, lowered the hammer on defendants over words. So if you apply that same logic to Ray Epps, uh, who was uh, inciting people to go into the Capitol, I mean, he, he was very specific the night before, we need to go into the Capitol. Uh, and he continued that on January 6th. And I don't know of a defendant who said that more, who encouraged people to go inside more. Uh, and, and now in, in fairness to, to Ray Epps, he did, he did help police that day outside. He did uh, calm down situations. There was probably a half dozen instances uh, that we found on body cam. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, even if you factor all that in, the sentence was was rather shocking, and I those may be points that come up in appeal. It's certainly possible. I think the most immediate is going to be citing it in sentencing recommendations and saying, "Hey, uh, what we got to have some fairness and consistency here, and let's take a look at his case." Yes, absolutely. Um, so, but but then of course that is one person that we've all been able to because there's no there's no way to hide him, which is what makes this all very. I don't know, obvious to us. There's no way to hide this guy. There's no way to, you can essentially track his movement throughout the whole day. And the fact that they have circled the wagons tells you everything you need to know. So um, we'll see what happens with that. There is something a little bit more uh, recently, though. About a week and a half ago, uh, we got a little bit more written about this pipe bomb situation. Darren Beatty was on top of it. That's where I saw it, at least first. Uh, what can you tell us about the, the, the revelations of the pipe bomb story? We had the security camera footage. It looked like, first of all, there's inability to produce a suspect. Apparently they have the car, the license plate, everything, but no suspect. The device I think was inoperable. Uh, it was planted and we can see on, on tape, there's a strange lack of urgency or caution from authorities around this so-called bomb location, even allowing civilians to walk by the the uh, the bench and all that stuff there's just not you know i don't know what it all adds up to but it sure doesn't seem very legitimate to me what do you think about this well we took a look at the uh the capitol police radio communications that we obtained the audio from two of two of the eight channels they used that day but the two primary channels and it's a very interesting contrast between the device that was found at the Republican National Committee or at the, the Capitol Hill Club in between in the alley uh, and the DNC device. Uh, if you listen to the radio comms with the RNC bomb, uh, there is a full court press. The response is massive in terms of the number of squads that you know, headed that way immediately. Uh, I believe they, there, there were 30, 34 or some officers that uh, streamed into that scene. Uh, DNC was a different situation. Uh, you saw in the, the video that you referred to that was uh, released by Representative Thomas Massey uh, back in June, early July, which shows exactly what you described. Uh, a backpack 
carrying man going up to two SUVs that were part of his social, uh, excuse me, the uh, Secret Service detail for Kamala Harris uh, in talking to them. And uh, ostensibly from what, uh, what sources have told some of my colleagues uh, that was informing them that a device had been found and that there was a pipe bomb on the property. And yet we had uh, uh, two, two or three people in, uh, in the Metro PD SUV who sat and finished their lunch before they got out of their vehicle yeah. to take a look around. And you're looking at uh, probably two and a half minutes uh, between when the backpack man first talks to them until they get, and even when they get out of their vehicle, it, you would not know that there was a danger, uh, a real pipe bomb packed with whatever they pack them with. Uh, they would have been in the blast zone and they would have all been taken out if that thing had gone off. So it's it's curious you, in, and to allow school children, a group of three or four school children crossed the street and walked on the sidewalk directly adjacent to where this device was. Uh, that's that's insanity. Yeah. You would have expected them to immediately form a perimeter as they did with the RNC and, and back at least 500 feet. Uh, and to block off, you know, for blocks around, they would have shut down the, the trains going over the, the trestle right next to the DNC building. None of that occurred. There wasn't an immediate roping off. Uh, and that does raise questions of why. Why would that be? Uh, and I can tell you that, uh, you know, Darren and, and Steve Baker at The Blaze both reported that uh, the person who found the device was an undercover Capitol Police officer. Uh, and that raises other questions as well. And I, I know that uh, House investigators are looking at that issue uh, to to learn more about how it is that person found the device uh, and how they ended up on that property because the Secret Service had declared it secure and safe. Right. When uh, the vice president-elect came in uh, and, and that the time between their security sweep and her going in the building was less than five minutes. So uh, they felt it was secure. So why would you need uh, someone that's uh, not in your, you know, your wheelhouse to come in and say, Hey, we want to, we want to search for a, a device. Yeah. So we, we don't know everything about that, but I suspect we're going to be hearing more because there's a lot going on behind the scenes, trying to find out the exact circumstances there. Um, there are uh, some, that are working on this case in Congress who do not believe that that device was placed on January 5th, as the FBI claims, uh, the night of the 5th, where they released the very pixelated, grainy security video uh, at 1.2 frames per second, uh, this very herky-jerky security video ostensibly showing uh, the person they claim is, is the bomber. Uh, but uh, I think they're exploring at least the possibility that the device was actually planted on January 6th. At what point, I don't know, but that raises some interesting questions. Yeah, it's, about, very, it's uh, very curious. Very curious yeah, indeed. And you, you know, you and you and you talk about you talk about uh, other things here that um, that have been reported on. We didn't hear a lot about. Obviously, a pipe bomb or two is a huge story. And I always thought it was very weird that even though it was mentioned the day of, you got a little bit uh, the day or two after, and then away with it, it went. You say, okay, well, that that seems like that would be like the 
the, the the centerpiece of this entire story that there were explosives that were planted and everything. It just went away. Then, of course, the more we hear about it and the more evidence we get, the more curious it becomes. But one other thing that I have had, see, I've seen very few people talk about and have it revisited is the fact that there was like four or five police suicides around the time of January 6th afterwards. And those suicides... They make up the bulk of what the, the, the real narrative official story pushers put out there as the body count to show that it was a violent mob of right-wingers, MAGA types that were killing, uh, killing police either directly or indirectly. They lied as long as they could about the, uh, about, you know, the, 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 the police being clubbed in the head with a fire extinguisher. They couldn't do that for more than a few months. Um, and then after that, it was just still deadly. Why? Because these police killed themselves because of the trauma of that day. But the more we know about that day, the only trauma that was being dealt out was from the authorities to the people who were, you know, uh, rabble roused over there and entrapped. So has anybody ever looked into the circumstances around these suicides and why they were directly linked to January 6th? Well, I think the reason they were linked is that it, it supports a narrative. I, I'm not suggesting at all that any of those uh, weren't due to trauma. Uh, I can tell you there were officers badly hurt that day, uh, and I'm sure that there's uh, there was trauma, PTSD, uh, on both sides of those barricades, uh, no doubt. But in, in the cases of the officers that took their own lives, uh, outside of a few things that have come out from family members, uh, I haven't seen any kind of an investigation of that. We haven't obtained any information that would shed more light on that to say, was there something else involved? Was it just a question of, of trauma? Did they see something uh, that they couldn't live with? Uh, you know, we, we just don't know. Uh, there's a lot of questions based on things that you suspect went on that day uh, that you would wonder about. And it is certainly when you have that number of deaths in a fairly short period after the event, uh, it raises red flags, and uh, but I I don't have a lot of light to shed on that. Okay, well I figured I'd ask because it's uh, it's something that I always I always go back to, and it's a curious part of the entire thing, and of course it's lives lost too. So, um, I, well, uh, uh, Mr. Hanneman, you've already given us so much time. I'd love to get around to a little bit more of the uh, the information about the documentary. Most important takeaway that you hope the audience has with this, and where can we go? to find out more about it and to watch it. I think the real real takeaway is the is the personal impact. Uh, that's the one thing that'll become very clear in this. We spent a lot of time in the film with uh, the Munn family uh, at the time it was from Border, Texas, but uh, they have now been in the process of moving back to Wisconsin. Uh, there was a family of five that went to Washington DC to hear President Trump speak and then as Tens and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people did, walked over to the Capitol. Now, they ended up going inside the building, did, did enter through a broken window. Uh, but once they were inside, the, the totality of their uh, experience was to pick up trash in the Capitol Visitor Center. Uh, they, you know, they were looking to, people were dropping things on the floor. They picked it up and put it in a bag and spent the rest of the time trying to figure out how to get out of there. Uh, they sensed this was not a, this was a, a dangerous situation. 
uh, with the, the daughters that were there were in a restroom and, and a police officer came in and started, a male police officer came in, started screaming at them uh, and knocked uh, the uh, towel dispenser off the wall. And they scurried out of there. Uh, they were just shocked that an officer was vandalizing the Capitol that he's uh, sworn to up to protect. So they they followed him out and tried to uh, tried to get an iPhone video of him, uh, but you know the the parents pulled them away. That 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 was a, a dangerous situation. But they uh, after forty, I guess it was fifty two minutes by the time they got out of the building, uh, they were all charged with a really a slew uh, of uh, criminal charges. There were three SWAT raids on their family at. Uh, three different properties in two states, in Texas and Wisconsin. Uh, and, you know, the, the oldest daughter, they came into her home and, uh, and one of her children, of course, was traumatized and uh, they would not allow her to be near her siblings, you know, to hold someone's hand. Uh, she got stuck between two tactical officers, you know, carrying M4 rifles. And uh, you think about that, a seven-year-old or yeah. year old child and watching mommy handcuffed life's changed and, forever life has changed forever yeah now her mother was very quick thinking because she she looked at her her daughter and said uh mommy's going to washington to help president trump find the bad guys and that that worked for her daughter she she felt not so frightened after her mom told her that i think that was that was pretty quick thinking but um those things Stick with the family, and they were subjected to all sorts of things. They they had a a monitoring device placed on their home internet that they showed us when we were there filming, and I had a, a former FBI agent, Steve Friend, uh, confirmed to me that he strongly suspected it was a it was a monitoring device based on the components, uh, and so then they were left wondering, and this was after the parents had done their jail time and. They were all that was left on them is to serve their probation that they were being monitored. Uh, so you would you would think there would have been a been a uh, a warrant for such a thing, but we have not seen any. And so they they are left wondering, you know, were their family discussions or private discussions being monitored by law enforcement afterwards? So it, it's it's uh you know the the mother in the family she lost employment she was. Plenty of people were more than happy to go to, she's a nurse, to go to all the healthcare facilities and to inform them that she was some sort of an insurrectionist, even though her plea agreement was for a single petty misdemeanor called uh, parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. Um, and she lost, I think, two-thirds of her income almost immediately. So uh, the, the range of effects on this one family is really quite startling, uh, but they... They, you'll see this in the film. They come out stronger, closer as a family. We filmed one of their family meals, uh, sit down at a Sunday dinner, uh, and very faith-filled family. And uh, I think the system clearly tried to break this family, and it didn't work. And and there's a lot of hope in that. So it sounds like they got the uh, the least of it based on what's happening to other people. 
Uh, they're very lucky, it sounds like, and uh, I'm, I'm glad for that, and I can't wait to see it, though. So the real story of January 6th, The Long Road Home. This is part two, an Epoch original. Uh, where can people go and find this? If you go to jan6realstory.com, uh, jan6realstory.com, you can actually find both part one and part two. Part one came out in July of 2022. Uh, and the latest film came out, as we mentioned, a few weeks ago. So you can find those both there. Uh, you know, if you're not a subscriber to the Epic Times, they they offer you opportunity to watch it. I think it's $4, uh, but that $4 gets you in, uh, to a subscriber status and gets you access to all the Epic TV content. And so it's, it's, it's definitely worth it. Uh, so they've got some options there for people that want to, want to watch the film and i encourage people to do that because this information is really important that that uh, people tell others about it because uh, we need to we need to keep filling in the gaps of of the story that was initially told by the mainstream media uh and uncovering you know where that story was was false or misleading and this is our our latest attempt to do that well, uh, Mr. Joe Hanneman, it's been wonderful to have you on tonight. I hope that uh, if any any big developments come in the future, that you'll make some time to sit down with us again. You, you bet. I would be glad to come back. All right. Thank you so much, sir, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. Thank you. There you go. Joe Hanneman, Epoch Times. Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen uh, Mr. Hanneman's work in the actual home delivery because I get the home delivery. Though I don't, I don't read the news sections that much. I'll read opinion. I'll read life and tradition. Uh, we'll we'll use the home. We'll do, use the other thing there too. Give the funny papers to Aurora. Give them the funny papers. But that is uh, that was a great talk, and I'm glad that we did that. Now I I'm going to go on a break. Might as well go on a break right now. It's seven fifty seven. Here's what we're going to do. I have questions. You can obviously you can call in on everything that we just spoke about with uh, Joe Hanneman from the Epoch Times about the documentary that came out and about the uh, the state of um, the country and a, and a lot of our our you know countrymen and women who are in dire straits right now. I'm sure that many of them are actually. I wonder what um, how many people out there are voting primarily on where the best chances are that there are, that, that there's going to be a person that can somehow get into office that will commute sentences and get people out of there. I, I wonder what contingent of voters where there is only the January 6th vote that nothing else matters. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I that, that would be interesting to know if there's... I, maybe I can ask Rich Barris about that tomorrow. Because he's coming on tomorrow, and I don't know if they've done any kind of um, polling on that in particular. But where is that in voters' minds? Obviously, when the economy goes to trash and when the and when the southern border is now starting to impact people locally, no matter where they are in the country, uh, that starts taking precedent. But I'm sure that this is very important for a lot of families out there, too. Now, in the second half... I want to ask you, on top of whatever you have to say about this, I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about some, some gambling, some sports rigging, messages, manipulation, whatever the hell's going to be put out there and is usually put out there during the Super Bowl, whether it's all the subversive commercials, all the, uh, all the, the, the interracial 
uh, families and and in the commercials and stuff like that, the things that are just so obvious, the messaging that's put out there. What the hell is it? Uh, you know, what kind of a ritual nature to the to the the performances are going to be there? Who knows? And of course, right down to who are the contestants? What is the backstory? And what's the need for uh, the winner to a who who is what is very important for the winner to achieve? I don't know because there's, and I, this is what I'm going to say. Me personally. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel about this because I know some of you out there think that every play, everything was plotted. Coaches, players, referees, that is just stage crew and cast in a play. It is WWE. There's no two ways about it. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from people on the other side and those in the middle because I've got so many thoughts about how the Super Bowl is, is uh, shaping up at this point. Um I just want to throw it out there and have a little fun in the second half and just take some calls. So let's do that. And uh, the link to join us for the second half, free. Pill.net is is uh, provided in the description below, and I tweeted it on out there. And, of course, uh, just as easy is, quite frankly, .tv, powered by Pilled and Foxhole. So uh, it, it's all the same thing, and, and we're having a lot of fun. So I hope you get on over there. It's two clicks. There's no paywall, nothing like that. And I also want to thank everybody. I want to thank everybody a great deal for those of you who became sponsors on Subscribestar over the weekend. We are 46.8% of the way from uh, what I find to be a really good point in our funding goal for 2024. It'll be a really good point where we're able to maintain proper funding of all the new staffing positions that we're looking to uh, get filled and keep filled. So just a friendly plug, plug if you enjoy the show and considered sponsoring us ever before in the past but you never took the plunge plunge into me now baby it only takes five uh dollars a month minimum and uh, it opens up everything you all to a nice set of perks including things like book club after the show right now and it gets us one step closer to having the show live for full two hours across all platforms again including pill.net and foxhole which is the exclusive home and always will be of the quite frankly network and after hours and all that so thank you so much um we still need a lot more of you in the audience only about 0.7 percent of you it's only a few hundred become a sponsor if you love the show the show loves you back all right we will be back on the other side of the intermission i hope you're there it's intermission time folks time out to press the like button the rest of the show is available exclusively at pill.net Follow the link in the description of the episode, get signed up, it's that easy. Or head on over to quitefrankly.tv, just press play. No paywalls, no censorship, no strings attached. So head on over, quitefrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole and pilled.net. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, intermission. Thank you. 
entering, quite frankly. 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 We all support. Quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Joe Brandon. Quite frankly. And Roma Italia. Quite frankly. You going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Okay. You know, I'm really, I'm, I'm really so excited. I wish today was Thursday. I really would. I'm not gonna try to rush anything. Though, how can you say I'm not rushing if I wish it was three days in the future? But I just want to wake up tomorrow and have it be Friday. And the only thing on my plate is to clean out my inboxes, do a little administrative stuff around here, and wait for Mike to get out of work so we can meet at the studio and start ripping through stuff. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, and I just hope it goes all smoothly. Anywho, anywho, I think it's going to be a good week. In that respect, but I want to take some calls from you. The lines will be open. I'm going to get to your super chats in just a second. That's 914 200 0269. 914 200 0269. What do you think about everything's going on? And then I have to get into what the hell we're, what's uh, what's going through my mind about this whole thing because everybody has to have a theory about this. It doesn't even because it, it could apply to anything else. Anything else that's public in nature doesn't have to be necessarily athletics, but anything. Everybody always wonders how much of everything we see here is scripted. Does it have to just be what's going on in the field of play? It could be just scripted public events that's supposed to steer, to massage, and to to bring things to fruition. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. Let me get to your super chats first. Donna Sar, thank you. Castle Drummer. Chai Possum says, yes, Frank, you and Matt have great chemistry. Matt Christensen, great show last night. Thank you so much, Chai. And I think that Matt has, he has made two separate sound clips from last night's show that I'm going to be, I think I'm going into the soundboard over there. The you are gay. The the gay accusing robot, I think that is going into a sound clip. And then my uh, my voice changed DVT thing, the deep vein thrombosis. I think that's going <laughs> to... He sent me two isolated clips. I was like, oh, shit, yes. I have left my mark. I have left my mark indeed. So, okay. Thank you, Boys Blanc. Thank you, Amethyst Cat. Sean Joe. Boys Blanc again, great conversation. Thank you. Jay Sem, good to see you. Joe Elaine, great to see you. NJSF, I know NJSF is probably really excited for a book club afterwards. I know I am. Nina Rock says, God bless you, Frank, and all the Franklies here tonight. Eric Allen, 
Chan's theory is Swift will get pregnant and then decide to abort after all the publicity. You think so? When you say Chan's, you're talking about 4chan? I don't think that I don't think that would happen. Although although she's already made her uh her political allegiances very, very well documented on the basis of abortion. But that would just be a bridge too far. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it wouldn't be for them to have a megastar like that link up with the Okay, l- let me just tell you what I think a little bit about this. And thank you, Jay Brits, for the super chat on quite frankly superchat.com. So I'm watching all this stuff last night, and um, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about sports rigging theories and thoughts that you might have, because I've been on the fence about it, but I told Lauren, and then I told many of you guys and gals on the Sunday stream, I said, I don't understand how you can rig a football game outside of some bad calls in close games. I understand referee interference, you know, having people write people, even if the entire team, the entire core of referees and umpires are working together to make sure that one side is kept in a position to win one lost in a a position that is weaker, disadvantaged, whatever the hell it is, uh, you, you can really only affect the game in a reasonable semi-undetected way with big plays in close games, okay? Or else every time somebody who, you know, takes a step forward, it's getting called back, and the other side is, you know, getting bailed out constantly throughout an entire four-quarter game, whatever the hell it is, it would just be too much. Now, we know that boxing matches have been easily fixed, people taking dives, this and that. Uh, Horse racing is fixable. We know about the point shaving that was invented with basketball with uh, you know St. John's and and then of course getting into you know, we know point shaving is a thing where you're not necessarily affecting the outcome of the game or who is a winner or a loser but you can start playing for you know you start playing for point spreads and things like that. So you're shaving points and um and there's that very lucrative stuff. I mean, we saw a huge professional fishing scandal, like I said, last year. I'm not even into fishing, and we covered it on the show because it was just so crazy. First of all, I know that there's a lot of sponsorship money. I know there's a lot of endorsement money in something like fishing, and I know that there is a huge crowd for it. It's not as glamorous as anything else. It's not even as glamorous as golf or anything, but there's a lot of people who are watching it. And to see these guys who are otherwise well-known in competitive fishing get really strung up and there's just it, it just be caught in a situation where it's indefensible and they're pulling these lead weights out of the fish it, it, it was crazy where everybody's like go it, people are saying hey let them leave don't touch any because they wanted people around them wanted to get their you know to cave their heads in this can, this is this is why people compete. They're trying to support families. They're trying to make things to the next thing in their career. And there's somebody else skipping the line and doing something nasty to take a uh, to get an advantage. Now, when you talk about rigging a Super Bowl or or what usually pops up with the NFL, 
it's one of those things where yeah, you can ruin people for who are out there trying to gamble on games and they're trying to assess who's going to win based on you know where the talent level is and what the prospects of this matchup or or, or this one, this defense, that offense, this cover, and whatever. Uh, you can you can screw with a lot of people who are trying to make bets um, legitimately just based on what they're assessing on the field and then have them not know that it's all playing out like WWE. I guess that's how you can say that because there's really no, it's not like the Houston Astros stealing signs in the world series and, you know, banging on trash cans to try to, to try to ensure that they win. Here is something that people are saying. And many people are very passionate about it, that it is a corporate media, governmental, occult process of bringing forward matchups that really just play into storylines, that play into selling, and that also play into cultural conditioning, really just sending and broadcasting messages, you know, um, outside of just let the best man win. That That's what the theories are around this really is. It's not that one team is working to get an advantage like deflate gate or something like that you know they're they're trying to find a way to grip the balls better or whatever so that's what that's where what what it came down to now now whereas i don't understand how you can do that outside of a few bad calls when i was watching this last night um my position and i know it makes no sense is that i can't bring myself to believe that players and coaches are fixing nfl games but at the same time, I knew that there was no way that the networks were going to be missing out on a Taylor Swift Super Bowl. Every time that this Travis Kelsey guy catches a ball, they have to switch over to her. And we've got to see her doing some kind of coordinated dance with all the uh, the bimbos that she brought up to the, the skybox. You go and make sense of that to me. Where I, where I know, I, I just feel like there's no way of really scripting what's going on in the field like that. But at the same time, I knew that there was no way the Chiefs were not getting in there. Didn't matter how good Baltimore was. Didn't it didn't matter. You go make sense of that for me. Call it the primal forces of nature, if you wish. I don't care. Taylor Swift and her gigantic hands, her alien hands, and that jab salesman tight end from the Chiefs. First of all, they look as forced as any Anybody could be forced together, okay? Every ma- They are a match made in media hell. You know when AI generates people? Like you go to an AI art generator or something like that, images, and it generates people. There's just something wrong about the face. There's something off about the hands, the little details that a masterful artist would never get wrong and would spend years perfecting. It's, it, there's just something messed up about it. Well, that's what this... That's what... Taylor Swift and the Kelsey guy represented represents me. That's what the display is for me. It's this this cheerleader who fell in love with the football star trope, but it's just poorly generated version. There's just something wrong. It's as authentic as the Ukraine war. That's what I'll say. But anyway, you have Taylor Swift, a liberal rabble rouser who's being used to manipulate young girls and suburban white women, no doubt about it. The media just reported on this not too long ago. I'll ask I'll ask uh, Rich about this tomorrow too. I think it was the Daily Mail that said that 20% of women surveyed who know what the sample sizes is. They probably they probably put it out there, but the headlines are all the same. This is what got 
got around. That 20% of women surveyed said that they would listen to Taylor Swift and just vote however way that she told them to vote. Okay? 20%. 20%. So don't, don't anybody out there, don't anybody out there, hem and haw when I start talking about barriers to voting ever again. All right. Now, I'll get a little bit more into the math on that tomorrow when Rich is on. I think that would be funny to do that with him. But when you start seeing what is being combined with these two, then you have the meathead boyfriend that pushes every vaccine there is on the market. And and to take them all at once, by the way, I mean, we are witnessing the combination of brands, multiple brands and demographics into one I don't know, inauthentic love, celebrity love story, the whole, the, the, it's just, I mean, I I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. Nothing seems right about it. And whereas I would like to hear from you guys, especially if you played, I don't know if anybody's out there, but if you have an, an idea about this stuff, I want to hear from you. How easy do you think that it is to rig football on this level? I want to hear from you because I've heard of other people saying that it's it's no doubt about it. There's nothing authentic about it. But like, for example, last night, last night I was looking at that. Um, what the hell was it? It, it was the, the, the fumble. That fumble right at the goal line in the third quarter or whatever the hell it was. That was something that is very uh, you could practice that. You can practice fumbling the ball six inches before the goal line in midair, reaching in. You can practice that a hundred times and score 97 times by accident. I mean, things like that, like that, that's not, uh, that is not rehearsed. The dive for the end zone, the perfectly placed uh, defender, the ball coming out less than a yard away. It's it, that's not practiced. I'm sorry. Uh, Lamar Jackson throwing that that interception in the fourth quarter that essentially just nailed sealed it all. That's just a boneheaded play that we've seen time and time again. And you know it's just at that point they're only down by seven. So I love to hear a little bit more about that. You can call in about the interview that we just did with Joe Hanneman. You can call in about what you believe is being set up, you can also just take it a step further and say, what sport do you think is the easiest to rig? And then, of course, then you can just call in with uh, whatever uh, tickles your fancy. But, um, yeah, let's go and take a little bit of a break. Then 914-200-0269. We'll be back in just a second. You're not going to jump me and beat me up like that last weirdo did. Just don't, don't break nothing, don't get any weird. Don't, 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 In modern day, I deceive an eye. H3 Lee goes, don't, 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 backwards, don't, don't, don't. Paul Sane goes, oh, yeah. And Peter Chris is going, crazily. Nuts! Eyeballs bulging out of their heads. I saw them five times. I'm out. All right. You're listening to Quite Frankly.
Welcome to Perpetual Health Minute, brought to you by Quite Frankly. The war on food has come home. In the early morning hours of January 2024, an Amish farm in Pennsylvania, Amos Miller, where I buy most of my food, was raided by the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. Here's an update on their status. Yesterday, the state of Pennsylvania extended the detention order on a large portion of Amos Miller's food, continuing their quest to put him out of business for his refusal to submit to big food control. Rep. Dave Zimmerman, a Republican in Lancaster County, has previously claimed to be about liberty and freedom, but is now refusing to stand with Amos Miller. And for the record, Pennsylvania has a Democrat governor. Neither of these men have done anything to stand with Amos Miller. So as you know, the uniparty in action, most of our elected officials are cowards and incapable of acting when we need them the most. Here are a few photos of the farm itself, of the Department of Agriculture removing food right in front of the Amish family who own the farm, and here is actual caution tape on fermented foods and on apple cider vinegar, clearly a danger to public health. Now, most of you know me for education, but the other thing that you should know me for is for preserving the right to choose. Whatever diet you choose, I want to preserve that choice for you. And so in making this video and bringing this to your attention, I'm hoping that this becomes a uniting principle for all of us. If you like this video, please follow the new Perpetual Health Rumble channel. You can also find us at perpetualhealth.substack.com. But for now, thank you so much for watching. Back to the show. Roland, whatever you're cooking smells fucking delicious. What do you got? Fish and sausage fettuccine. Damn. Smells like some good shit there. Let me get a little nibble. Sorry, Frankie. I'm saving this for someone special. Now I'm just playing with you, Frankie. You got me a little cocksucker. You almost gave me a heart attack there. Let me get a little taste. Fucking tremendous. If I would have known, I would have hired you to cook for me at home. My mother she can't cook like this. Nothing but pure shit. Hey, you see Rondell, whatever the fuck his name is? He's got the hot chicks because he's going to cook. That's what happens, my yes. friends. You're like Rick James in 81. My name's Bruno. Whatever the fuck it is, what do you care? When Joey Diaz at the at the end says, "What do you care about what your name is?" <laughs> I love that clip. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. The Amish taking away all their apple cider vinegar—the worst thing you can have, right? When you see somebody put warning labels on fermented foods, but they 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 push untested genetic crap into people's arms as young as six months you know something's wrong you know that there's something wrong that we've gone we've uh, there's a there's a point of no return and we've definitely uh crossed that threshold anyway the, the number is 914-200-0269 and i'd love to take some calls from you um i would on anything but especially on this so give me a buzz. That is what we have going on. There's the there's the the uh, the threat of new wars all the time. I have a couple of emails here I can put in. I would definitely want to put this onto the uh, onto the record too. Although this one, let me see here. This one, the one I wanted to do. I'll save that one for later. This is good. This is really good stuff. But here's one that just came in randomly. 
Hey, Frank, I wanted to share with you an amazing event I experienced in 2007. When working as a hospice RN, we provided in-home care, support, and teaching for patients and their families to enable to the patients to remain in their homes during their time remaining. I had a patient who was a much beloved member of our community due to her dedication as a kindergarten teacher for many years. Her family required much support in teaching as I spent a lot of time with them. A few days after she passed, I was driving north to my office to start my day of visits. Ahead of me, I noticed a rainbow that ended in the roadway. I kept getting closer, and all of a sudden, there was a bright yellow flash in my car. I had driven through the rainbow yellow band of light. But the story gets even better. Later that day, I went to her viewing at the funeral home. There were several miles away. I told her daughters, uh, I told the daughters of my patient about driving through the rainbow. One of them asked me if it happened around 9 a.m. in the morning. I said, yes, why? She told me that the, at the other end of the rainbow, there uh, uh, she said the other end of the rainbow was there at the funeral home. Think about that. Since you have a great show, thank you for all that you do. I ordered some coffee, by the way. I can't wait to try it. That was from Lisa. So I'm always looking to dabble and to, to, uh, to sprinkle those things in there, too. I love emails like that. That's crazy. Now, I've never been in the middle of a rainbow. That means that you have to be on the, where, where it actually touches down. Does it actually touch down on the ground? I just thought it's really just a band in the air and there, there's somewhere I, like that's the thing that, that I don't get. I can see that if you're below the uh, the funeral home, you can actually see that maybe above you somewhere. But for you to be able to drive through the yellow band, what does that mean? Were you on a maybe if it happened on a bridge or something, but perhaps it was something more than that. I don't know. Um, I'm going to get this up. Let's see here. 914-200-0269. I see the pinwheeling again. Oh, it never ends. It always ruins it always ruins my um my flow when all the tech starts messing up on me. Let me cancel this out. Quit Zoom. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you who've been trying to call. Got to bounce it back up. Hold on. It's open. All right. 914-200-0269. I hope that that takes care of it. So I want your your theories. I want your theories. I got one over here on, on Gilded here from AK. AK said, if anything, I can see NFL playing Taylor Swift uh, buku bucks. To prevent, uh, to, to date him. Oh, okay. To pretend to date him. You think the NFL would be paying Taylor Swift to date Travis Kelsey so that her presence brings people back to watching football? That's not in it. That is not a demographic that you want watching football. They act, they don't care. They don't care. And she's pissing people off. What little actually watch it and really have time invested in it? Every time they cut to her, she's pissing a lot of people off. They probably think that she has the power, but she doesn't, says AK. They don't get that their gay-ass policies, like kneeling during the anthem and playing the Black National Anthem and COVID vaccines, make people cringe so hard that they were fed up with the NFL. There's definitely a lot of that going on. Let's take a call from John. How you doing? Hey, 
Hey, Frank. Hey, man. Hasn't this crap been going on forever? Just cheating with the things. Remember back in the Roman times? Uh, when they made everybody go naked because there was uh, guys uh, trying to compete in the women's sports. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I remember that. It's one, well, but they went naked back then. I don't know why I thought of that. But listen, but then there was like the baseball game, right? That they rigged, and then there's like they've just been rigging everything since forever. But 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 see here, John, th- this is where it gets a little bit different. Because whereas you can put a foreign substance on a baseball or if you're Arnold Arnold Rothstein in 1919 and you rig the World Series um, or, you know, there's something like that. You're totally the Arnold Rothstein thing is a little bit different than going out there and taking steroids or corking a bat or putting a foreign substance on a ball. So you have more grip on the ball or something like that. These are people. These are people. And sometimes. but what, I follow you with that, right? But I don't follow them sports. I follow, like, racing, right? And it was like there was rules, but you could cheat around the rules, and the best cheater won. And to me, I, you know, I kind of, you know, went after the cheater. <laughs> or I didn't go after the cheater, but, you know, it was just like you go around the rules to win or something. But I don't know what is left in this world that is true and honest anymore. I mean, it's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is, because, you know what, I can I can live with – I can live with an individual player or an individual per, uh, person or even a team coming up with some kind of a crooked scheme to gain an advantage and try to ensure that they win. Because it, whereas it's unethical and in many ways, in many play, ways, it can be uh, uh, criminal and it's just scumbag, bad, bad behavior that would be, you know. Well, within the rules, like, you know. No, well, there's no, there's... you know, like they did, they didn't tell you you couldn't have, you know, four foot of fuel line on your car. They just told you you had to have a twelve gallon fuel tank. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, oh, you're a little bit inside, outside, whatever. You know, I, I that's to me that's ingenuity to win, right? Dancing, but, dancing know, within that gray, dancing within the gray area. That's something where, oh well, you never said expli- you see, you never said I you can I can uh, explicitly can't do something. Therefore, I'm going to do it and blah, blah, blah. That I understand. But, you know, it, it's something different altogether when I'm saying that winning the best or the winning is not really even the, the, the situation that people are are saying. That's not even really what they're, they're laying all out there with something like a totally rigged and set up and predestined Super Bowl. We're talking, we're, now we're getting into WWE territory. We're talking about a narrative that is being. Yeah, just a show. Right. Yeah. It's a, yeah, we're talking Broadway. We're talking about a narrative that's being built for public consumption. That is a totally different monster. And uh, one I would like to, uh, you know, just get people's thoughts on a little bit. But but thank you for the call, John. Good good well, thoughts. Well, that's why I like drag racing, you know, because your engine could blow up, this and that. You know, it's still like one of the last purest sports, I think, even though it's called drag racing. But I think that's what throws them. They think that uh, we're on their side. Have you ever raced yourself? <laughs> you know what I mean? Did, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, but however, do- however, you know, it's got that mechanical factor. All right, but I'm sure they can fuck with everything. They always do. I love you, Frank, man. I'm glad your uh, daughter uh, got over a concussion quick. Man. Oh, yeah, and well, like the guy said, uh, uh, the bump on the outside is better than the bump on the inside. No, I get All you. Right, you have a good one. Right Thank around, you. Pal. Love you, man. Thank you. Take care. I want to know if he ever drag raced himself, but he just he, he ushered himself off the show. Uh, she never. I don't. I don't think she was concussed though. 
we kept her up a little bit later that night just to make sure she wasn't acting funny. She was tired, but she wasn't concussed. She wasn't, uh, there was no dilation of the eyes. She wasn't complaining about headaches or, or, uh, or dizziness. Obviously around the, t- she was kind of stunned and woozy around the time. It was, it was a jarring experience. Obviously it can't not be with what was left on her forehead, but still there's that. Let's see here. NJSF says, my theory of what would have been the elevator pitch, attempting the holy grail of marriage, marriage Biden spokesmodels for women, Taylor Swift, and men with synergy in trying to bring Karens to the NFL fan base, the mythical win-win. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I was trying to think, well, what demographics are are being merged here between this forced and obnoxious public romance between Travis Kelsey who's just everywhere. And you know what from what from what little I've watched of him because they've been in the playoffs so many times over the last however many years and I still watch playoff football and I buy my boxes and we get friends together and even if the 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 games are on in the background it's really just something to to talk over and stuff like that. So I've seen enough of Travis Kelsey to know that he's a good tight end. But, of course, this is just outer limit stuff at this point. But, yeah, that's the way I was looking at it, NJSF. There's a merging of demographics. How does that really work out? Well, uh, if they both go and give a joint, uh, a joint, whatchamacallit, endorsement of Biden over the next couple of months into the spring, then we'll know what it was all about. But I don't think you even need to speak that into existence, really. I think it's all very implicit. So, uh, and I think the, and for those asking, yeah, the halftime show is Usher. So who knows where that all goes. And at that point, hopefully I have won. I'll have already won thousands of dollars. That's what I'm hoping for. It's the only thing I care about numbers. Okay. All right. 914-200-0269. Give us a buzz. The lines are wide open and you can literally walk right in so go ahead and do that in less than a half hour we're going to be starting the uh oh shit in less than a half hour we're going to be starting the book club that'll be session four and i'm looking forward to that one let's see 914-200-0269 echoes of the movie rollerball says njsf uh nervers nell says hi frank what's going on nell five the Sentinel says Ravens going off sides with two minutes left, giving the Kansas City a first and 10 on 15 more yards. I don't know. It's weird. Well, there's a lot of weird shit that happens in the, over the course of a game. Lamar Jackson catching his own tip pass was sick. Ravens stripped at the goal line was awesome. Um, let's see here. All I know is it must grate on you to see Kansas City number 15 and number eight, 87 whoop you and be in every commercial on break. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, this isn't great on me, but um, me personally. But I notice this stuff. It's just one of those things. I, I get you know Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith were in every other commercial back in the '90s. So uh, I know that when you're hot, you're going to get all the deals. That that just that's just uh, that's just naturally what's going on. Jay Jules has finally have Lorraine signed up for a sponsor. Lorraine, well, that's great. 
The Sentinel says, I think the, the Swift-Kelsey romance is a publicity stunt. I don't want to think the NFL is rigged, but it could be. There have been plenty of people who have gone on the record to say that you are literally cast for a role. And that is just something I can't wrap my head around, though I can wrap my head around most things. Uh, hello, you're on the air. Who's this? Uh, hey, Frank? Yes. This is Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, buddy. Um, listen, this is off topic. Okay. But I have been listening to you since, I think, around 2016. Wow. For real. Every day. I, it, there's like a one in 12 chance that when I die, I will be listening to you. You are a great pressure uh, relief uh, because you are, uh, you have the ability to speak out what I think in my head, but in a funny way. You, amazing. So I want to, I just want to, we've never spoken before, right? I don't, I don't think so, but I'm glad you got through tonight. No. We, we emailed a little bit here and there, but we've never spoken. So I just want to say uh, to everybody out there, I'm, I'm going to do my best to put a little chicken scratch together for you. Everybody else, get off your asses and support, quite frankly. Give him a dollar. He's living in a closet right now. <laughs> Give the guy a dollar, okay? That's all, Frank. <laughs> hey, I, I love you. I Dude. love you. Well, we, I, we we have you're doing the Lord's work, okay? I I appreciate this call more than you know, and the fact that in a couple of years we are going to have been hanging out together, and even though I I didn't know it, but I'm so happy we have been. In a couple of years, we'll we'll have been hanging out together for a decade already, and uh, I don't care if it took eight years for you to call. And I'm glad that tonight was the night. See there, no, I love you, brother. Keep it up. All right, Keep man. It up. All right. Everybody give Frank a dollar. Please get me out of this damn closet. <laughs> Thank you. All right, man. Have a Thank good you, one. Man. See you. I, I hope he calls in more often. That's great. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I can provide that little uh that little release valve for people. There's plenty more to do. Plenty more to do. And it is a Monday night. We do a little of this, we do a little of that. We're going to have some serious stuff tomorrow. Who do I have on Wednesday? The lines are open. Call on in. Wednesday, Donald Jeffries is coming on with his new book on Jim Jim Garrison and the JFK assassination. I'm sure that in that book, uh, John Barber is sourced a lot because I actually met John Barber through... Uh, no. I met Donald Jeffries through John Barber. Yeah, I didn't meet John Barber through Donald Donald Jeffries. It was the other way around. Um, I think that's the way it was. So uh, they're uh, they're pretty tight. I'm sure that's going to be wonderful. That's on Wednesday. So JFK's assassination. Well, you know, it was the 60, 60th anniversary last year. So get on top of that. I'm sure that uh, you all enjoy it. All right, let's go. 914-200-0269. Another one just came in and then flashed away. So let's do a little bit of that. Chai Possum says, it's not fixing the game for the winner, but ensuring the loser. That's a that's a quote from Possum Jones over there. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
Yeah, see, I don't know. See, there's a little bit. There's a little bit. There's some lawyer guy. I don't know who, where the hell it was. Let's see here. Lawyer. NFL. Yeah. This is an old thing I had from years ago. 2018. This is actually from February 1st, 2018. It's for prepare from cha for change.net. Now, obviously, everything here has been contested after the fact, but an NFL entertainment lawyer who has worked for the corporation more than 15 years has been found dead in a New York City, in New York City, hours after telling reporters that Super Bowl, uh, what is that, 52, is rigged. Dan Goods, or I think it's Goods, has was found dead in his hometown of New York City in what early reports described as gangland-style execution. Okay? And that is the New York Times that put that out there first, gangland-style uh, execution. Hours after blowing the whistle on the rigged Super Bowl backstage at a promotional event in Minneapolis, early reports claim the 49-year-old was found shot dead in 2017 BMW 2 Series, along with one other man, believed to be a close friend. Goods, an entertainment lawyer who worked with the National Football League's Park Avenue headquarters, have been representing the NFL in Minneapolis, working alongside Eagles and Patriots franchise staff on promoting Sunday's Super Bowl, featuring the two teams. However, Goods went off script in Minneapolis and was physically removed from the premises by security staff, but not before publicly condemning the NFL as totally corrupt and claiming the Super Bowl is fixed, telling reporters that he is, quote, football fan first and foremost and a lawyer second. He said football in America in 2018 doesn't need another rigged Super Bowl. We need a great match, not another rigged result that doesn't pass the sniff test. I like money as much as the next guy, but I like football more. I can't stand by and allow rampant greed and cynicism to destroy the game I love. The little boy in me won't allow it. So th that's what they're that's they're reporting on here. According to him, the NFL have organized a rigged game that will earn maximum revenue for the league and hundreds of millions of broadcasters and advertisers, but will leave the increasingly jaded Americans with a bad taste in their mouth. This is the biggest scam in sports history. The Super Bowl is already completely scripted. How do I know it's scripted? I've read the damn thing. You need to understand the NFL is a $35 billion shared revenue corporation. Outcomes can't be left to chance. That See, see I don't know. I, I read like this, this stuff like this all the time. That, I, I, it can't be left to chance. If it's the two best teams, why would it be left to chance? I don't get it. Now, I understand bigger markets attract one thing or another, but the Super Bowl is always going to be big. So... But when it comes down to, again, what does that mean? Well, I've read the script. I've read the script. Who was the other guy? Wasn't there an interview? Somebody went, I have to go on a break. I have to find this thing. Let me take a call first. 480, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Frank, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Who's this? Hey, uh, this is uh, Dirk. Okay, Dirk, what's Arizona. up? Arizona. Hey, uh, just two quick things. Um, first of all, as far as uh, call, you know, getting those calls in the game, you know, it's like you know, my coach always used to say they can call a penalty on any any certain play, and that definitely can affect a game. Just like you were you're stating earlier, you know, jumping off sides or 
holding or pass interference. Everything is, you know, up in the air pretty much. They can call whatever they want to affect, you know, a certain series or an important, you know, scoring situation. So that's my opinion about that and how they can shape a game. Oh, yeah, and I'm with you on that too, uh, especially, but again, especially if the team, if the, the game is close, you know, if the game, oh, if the game is close, then you know, a pass interference here, uh, defensive holding, offensive holding. I mean, it, those things make or break a game. It puts you, it can put a team out of, uh, out of, uh, you know, field goal, a field goal range. There's so many things that could tip the scales in insurmountable ways when the game is close. So uh, I don't know. I I would love to see somebody lay it out how how it could be uh you know really really just steered. But I I get you. I get you. I mean, there's been plenty of big time uh, pros over the years who have said that well, one game or another was sabotaged. That the, the you know bad calls make things go whatever whatever way. But um, again, that would be one team's gripe about umpiring or refereeing not going their way. And that would still be on the outside of what everybody uh, who subscribes to this rigged Super Bowl um, uh, theory is is saying, where both teams, they know what roles they have been given. One is going to be the winner. One's going to be the loser. One is the underdog. The other one is the kind of like the heel and all that stuff where everybody's on the same page. Those are hard for me to hard for me to really, really get behind. No, and I, I definitely understand that. Uh, I, I'm a little bit older than you, and I come from an era where, you know what, I was used to seeing blowouts in NFL football games. You just don't see those anymore. I mean, everything is a close game, and that's why I think everything can be manipulated. So as far as that's the way I feel about that. And just one more thing uh, about the Taylor Swift-Kelsey uh, situation. Um I'm just studying uh, Taylor Swift's throat. That's all. Okay. Uh, her Adam's apple. So I'm just, I'm just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 when you look, when she threw an arm around Travis Kelsey yesterday, and I saw that gigantic hand, I said, "Jeez, my gosh!" I'll tell you, yeah. like the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk. All right. Well, thank you for the call, Dirk. <laughs> all right. Take care, Frank. That have was a, great. Have a good one. Here is NFL player Dwight Smith. Maybe some of you have heard this back in the day. Take a listen to this. Exposed to the NFL for being rigged. Exclusive full audio. This is uh, reposted two months ago, but it, it's pretty it's pretty well known. I had to dig it up while Dirk was on. Super Bowl 37 champion Dwight Smith who was a part of that team two pick sixes we all know what he did against the Raiders but he joins us here in the Ronnie T crash show as we count down to Super Bowl Sunday Dwight Ronnie and Tom here how are you welcome to the show. all right uh we have to come right there it is <laughs> is that right well you know we got a great matchup coming up with uh Super Bowl 55 obviously the Buccaneers are playing on their home field they're not the home team i guess i guess you could say they're the home team but it's supposed to be a neutral field but just tell me as a former buccaneer how surreal is this for the bucks to be in the super bowl in tampa at raymond james stadium that's a good question man i, I would like to add some Tampa fans that question because i really don't i really don't know 
Well, I mean, this is something that uh, no one's ever seen before. I mean, you're hosting the Super Bowl. The Bucks are in it. It's Brady versus Mahomes. I mean, something I predicted at the beginning of the year. I said if the NFL wanted to have the home team in the Super Bowl, this would be the perfect year. Pandemic, people can't travel, you know, so it's not, it's of, not a shock to me. How big of an advantage do you think it will be for the Buccaneers not having to travel anywhere? Because obviously, you know, when you were in the Super that's Bowl. Not no, that's not no advantage. I don't have no advantage. No advantage? Okay. No. All right, so. That's like saying they have advantage at every home game during the year. So, I mean, <laughs> it ain't like they won every home game. So, it ain't much of an advantage. Y'all know all the X's and O's, man. I'm just sitting at home watching. I, I, I don't like to get into that because I don't believe the game is really decided on the field. So, you know, I don't get into all the X's. Now, he's, the hosts, I, maybe the hosts know where he's going with this. But he's already made several comments about how it doesn't really matter and isn't it amazing how it turns out this way that the that the uh, the Bucks have home field advantage. They don't have to do some, too many traveling. Uh, it's in Tampa. It's uh, during a pandemic. You know all that kind of stuff. He's already made some kind of comments that, that make uh, you know, he he seems a little bit disengaged with the whole thing. Now he really goes for it. Hexes and nose and talking, man. Uh, like I said, I played in the game. I, I set a Super Bowl record and. We knew every play they were running before the game started. So, hey, who am I to say? We knew every play they were running before the game started. That's what he just said. That's in the Super Bowl. Well, tell us about that week leading up to the Super Bowl because that was the big thing. Bill Callahan was the Raiders coach at the time. Obviously, John Gruden had just come over. Tell us about that week of preparation leading up to the game and how it was executed by you guys. I mean, you know, you could know which plays Brown, are coming. And Tim Brown and Jerry White come out and say that they made them run Jerry White. I mean, Tom, uh, John Gruden's offense. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. It was his offense, and you guys knew exactly what was coming. Did you know every they, single play? They didn't, run that, they, didn't run that, they didn't run that offense all year, though. Ain't it odd that you would run it when you're playing against us? So did, did you guys knew, know every play before the ball was snapped? I'm just saying, man, it, it, the game ain't decided on the field. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> like I said, I predict who's going to be in the Super Bowl. It ain't about who has the best players. Football is entertainment. So who, what's the most entertaining Super Bowl? The Bucks in their first one against Patrick Mahomes. Has nothing to do with if these are the best teams, because we know that these aren't the best teams. The Bucks are not the best NFC team. So who's the best team in the NFC, in your opinion? Uh, the Green Bay Packers. Okay. But the Bucks beat them at Lambeau, though. I mean, the, the Bucks proved it. They went there. They beat Aaron Rodgers at his place. You can say what you want, man. Like I say, the game ain't decided on the field. <laughs> but the Bucks beat Green Bay like 38-10 to 10 at Raymond James Stadium in listening. the regular season. You're not listening to me, man. You keep saying <laughs> You're not listening. Dude, I, I enjoy listening to this a lot. I enjoy it. This is the stuff I'll sit back and go, okay. Hey, man, you were there. You were there. What the hell do I know? And it, it just uh, it, it it tickles me. And the, the, so, so how is it? How is it decided then? If it's Giants, not on the field, the Giants won the Super Bowl in two thousand and seven. We I, I had two pick sixes. I mean, two one I took back ninety three yards. Another pick up there in New York. We beat them forty something. We didn't have Adrian Peterson. They went on to win a Super Bowl. Like you, right. you, you who beat what and how? Like come on, man, not that. All right. So how do you see this one playing out on Sunday? It depends on what Vegas, when Vegas make that call. Who they, you know, how Vegas ain't going to lose the most money. So do you think the Bucks' original Super Bowl that you were a part of and won was illegitimate? 
I think everyone is. If you don't mind me asking, then, and we, we obviously appreciate giving us a little bit of time, why do an interview for the Super Bowl if you don't y'all believe that it's set up the right way? Y'all, y'all ask me to. Don't nobody call me no other time until Super Bowl come, right? Yeah, I, yeah no, that's true. Yeah. Did, any, did anybody, when we got on the phone, say, hey, how's your family doing? How are your kids doing? No, that none of that matters. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you my honest opinion. And I appreciate that. We do. We yeah. do. I mean that's that that is our job though is to talk sports. I mean it's it's not personal. So what is and your it's honest my job to be real? <laughs> oh, we understand that. So what is your honest opinion of Tom Brady uh, being in ten Super Bowls? Uh, good luck, a lot of luck, you know. Okay. Because you know everybody say Tom Brady, but if I can remember, there's a lot of kickers kicking kicks for him to make it there. Well, Tom Brady did put him in a position to make those. So did kicks. Jim Kelly. So did Jim Kelly, but his kicker missed the kick. He did. He did miss the kick. Right. He did. He did. <laughs> so that, that that is what um, that that goes on for like two more minutes. Let me read some of the comments here. It's the truth, says uh, yo somebody. The 2002 Saints were literally the blueprint to beating the Buccaneers in 2002. Not only did Rice and Brown say that the game plan was changed the week of, but that's why uh, Barrett Robbins went to Mexico because he was so upset about them going from a running game plan to a passing game plan. Please continue to expose football and the rest of those sports. It's WWF with these sports. If this interview doesn't convince you, fanboys, how rigged the NFL in sports is, then you just want to be a part of the circus, says somebody else. In the middle of a pandemic, LeBron James and the Lakers and Tom Brady won championships. What a coincidence. The two most popular players in the sport played the entire postseason. I bet a lot of fans tuned in for that and helped viewership revenue. Total rig jobs. I'm going to keep going. Um, You'll have people say if it was rigged, somebody would have said something by now. First off, millions of dollars by silence pretty well. Then you have somebody like this that has played straight tell you straight tell you then people will still try to argue and claim it's real when you know uh when you know them when you show them this NBA is fixed proof was in 2001 Sacramento Kings versus LA Lakers game 6 via the Tim Donahue game If one professional sport can be rigged all professional team sports can be rigged here we go. Cowboys fans here. Oh, oh. So I took a long break from smoking, and last year I decided to spark one up during a football game. Man, I started to peep so many weird things going on during that game, but I just figured I was tripping because I was high. The fortunate or unfortunate truth is once you see something, you can't really unsee it, especially with these recent games. It seems like they aren't even trying to hide the fact that these games are rigged anymore. Even when something goes in the Cowboys' favor, I find myself questioning the legitimacy of it. I can't. Oh, if the Cowboys won, I would definitely think something's weird. The Cowboys do not win. Like people go, "Who your Cowboys?" Really? Please, don't taunt me. I don't care. The Cowboys are losers. You know. Yeah, yeah, the, the, I'm, I'm sure, yeah, 13-win season, 14-win season, very nice. First-round exit. Don't even talk to me about the Cowboys. I don't give a shit. They're losers. They turn into babies. 
It's like Aurora running around the field as soon as the playoffs start. It's ridiculous. I came across your channel. I don't know whether to be happy or mad that I was right, this guy says. And uh, somebody else said, oh, also, this is a Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. Not just any player. No, that Dexter Jackson was, I thought. Anyway, so, I mean, there's a lot here. And this is all off of one interview. And I've seen some stuff like this, but this is the most recent one because this came out, this was in 2020. This is only four years ago and went on for seven minutes. And obviously, you can tell the hosts, when you're hosting a, a show like that, and somebody the, the guest comes at you this way, and they're just like, guys, are you really trying to analyze what this shit is? Don't you know what, what it really is? You, there's two things. There is, why would you even take this interview? Because obviously this is like probably very hard for the host to, to process this. They uh, Even if they don't believe it, they have to know that they're sitting on a gold mine. As far as it's going to go viral, people are going to say, did you hear what Dwight Smith said? Um, but it, it also made a lot of people wonder. Now, again, I'm I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Blowouts, I can understand. Close game, uh, I, blowouts. I I mean, I don't know. I guess you can rig a blowout. Somebody has to just play down. Other one has to play up. Oh, it's just what I, we need. More people like Dwight Smith come forward. Anybody ever rig a game before? Can you please call into the show? Anybody ever rig a game? Call me up or email me after the show. We got a new email, by the way. It's frank at quitefrankly.tv. So you can try that instead of quitefranklypodcast at gmail.com. It all forwards to the same place. It's easier to think about. Frank at quitefrankly.tv. Anyway, Car Guys New England says sports are bread and circus to distract the masses. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, you know, the way that they are right now, the, the big television events, things like that, it can be. Then again, I can watch the Super Bowl and not be distracted by whatever. Um, most people, if they're not watching the Super Bowl, they're still going through life, not really seeing what the hell's going on. Um, it's just uh it's just one of those things it's one of those things where you get in uh you get out of it what you put in and a lot of people are just you know the, the sports are not what made things bad for people okay this was like out of the cradle out of the cradle we are constantly taught and had our, having our attention placed on things that do not that do not give us anything good down the line so as they are right now, the real question is, how much of a stage production is it all? Because I don't believe that every pitch, every pitch is, is um, you know, is planned. Then again, uh, you know, as, as he says, Dwight Smith says, there could be, a, there could have been a, an actual playbook, a playbook in sequential order that they knew. Dooku Dan says sports, science, politics, music, auto-tune, all rigged, fake. Sports leagues have no special obligation to truth, steroids, and baseball. Number one goal to make money, drive products, and shift cult culture. Swift 
and Kelsey, 100% fake. Soros bought Swift's catalog. Swift is a psyop. There you go. There's some very hard stances right there. I love it. I love it. I'm glad I brought this up. All right, so ladies, ladies and gentlemen, that's a little bit on what we had for Friday or for Monday night. Tomorrow, we're going to have Rich Barris on the show. We'll do a little bit up front with him, and in the second half, I'll have some other fun stuff ready for you, and I hope that you bite. So um, don't go too far. 7 o'clock tomorrow, we'll be here before you know it. And for those of you who are monthly sponsors and you have been following along with the book club, we are about to embark on session four for Lucifer's Hammer, and it was a good one. This one really makes you, again, like, damn, I'm woefully unprepared for everything. No matter how much I think I've done, that's what this book is showing me right now, how it comes apart real quick. Anywho, thank you guys and gals so much. It's been a pleasure. It really has. Thank you to Joe M. Happy Monday, Frank. Music Man 75, thank you so much. Uh, Smoked 78 says, for the closet fund. Honestly, guys, the closet is fine. I, I'm having a wonderful time over here. Um, everything's already bought for the studio a, I dropped another significant amount of money. And, um, when it does come back online, it is going to be a sterling operation over there technologically, you know, um, until the next thing happens. Uh, it, but, but after this is done now, I can really put all my attention on the music room because the old broadcast computer is getting reformatted to be the, the, uh, broadcast computer in the other room. That'll be nice. As far as this place goes, there's little bells and whistles I still want to put up. Some things on the walls, tinker with the lights a little bit more, just just make it work well. But, man, have I gotten comfortable with this setup in here. I feel like, you know, with that kind of flexibility, we can do anything. Special programming, network after-hour stuff, I can be a little bit more hands-on with that, which I have to be. So uh, it's good. But for now, I will see you all tomorrow. And for those of you who are getting ready for book club, I will see you in a few minutes. Have a good one, everybody. And thank you so much. Good night. I'll catch you on the flip side. frankly is film before a live studio audience and now our super chatters starting with car guys new england dooku dan jay brits and a whole lot of gold pillars out there thank you all so much i'm going to be releasing that scratching and i'll see you tomorrow night seven o'clock stay tuned for book club all right bye-bye <laughs>